Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And the topic for this episode is one of Kara's favorites, food. Mm. And as delightful as this topic is, you may be wondering why, both in terms of why it's the topic for our podcast episode, but also why is it brought up so often in Supergirl, the television show? Like, why is Thanksgiving the patented Supergirl holiday that they choose to devote episodes to the most often? And especially, why is loving food such a consistent character trait for Kara? And so this is not just us being kind of silly and talking about Kara and her favorite foods. This is actually a really key piece of studying culture. If you look at anthropology, sociology, and the evolving discipline now known as food studies. (laughs) Kara's next endeavor. (laughs) Kara's next profession. (laughs) Food is actually one of the most important cultural signifiers among groups of people. Mm. And according to different experts in the field of food studies, everyone has what is known as a food voice, which you thought was a very funny term. I did. (laughs) (laughs) But it essentially means that the things that we choose to eat or not eat actually communicate something about our identity and or our emotional state in a way that words alone can't express. Mm. So we don't always think about this unless you're taking a course in one of these social sciences and you're forced to do a self-study. But food choice can expose your own or a group you belong to's beliefs, your passions, things that you're really into, sometimes background knowledge that you may have about a culture or a style of cooking your assumptions about wealth and social class, or your personality more broadly. And understanding people's food voices will help us understand the story of families and kinship ties between people. We can learn a lot about immigration and assimilation into a new culture. We can come to a deeper understanding about a person's individual identity, and we can track changes to individuals or groups over time. The other reason that we decided this would be a really interesting topic to delve into is that the sharing of food and the sharing of meals specifically is unique to the human species. And it's one of the things that Kara embraces about living among humans on Earth, which is what Mm. made it really stand out from a nerd point of view and also from like a cool character analysis point of view. (laughs) Yes. So you mentioned how food can communicate something about changes to individuals over time. And that is also relevant to Carr as a character, as we'll talk about this episode. But what is so interesting about the way that food is used in the series Supergirl is that it communicates a lot about Kara as a character. And it communicates, in a way, the core message of Supergirl, which is hope. And it also supports the theme of the show, Elmayara, Stronger Together. Wait, but how does it convey hope? The food is hopeful? (laughs) Well, uh, Kara's enthusiasm (laughs) for food is emblematic of the hope that she chooses to have. Ooh, all right. So let's let's answer that question. (laughs) Yes, let's. (laughs) So in the series, we see how Kara's joy and excitement is often paired with the way that she enjoys food. Mm. For instance, in the pilot episode, one of the first moments in like the trailers that we saw before the show came out that made me most interested in Supergirl, Kara as a character, was how excited she was about being Supergirl. And this was demonstrated in her squeal of delight at seeing herself on the television. <laughs> and when the scene happened in the show, we see Kara sitting on the wing of the plane, and then Kara's 
face in her living room come into frame and take a giant bite out of a slice of pizza. Well, and it's also funny that Kara went and expended all this energy on her first big superhero rescue, and then she immediately restocked her calories and ate like half a pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's directly tied to that moment of joy of sort of embracing life as Supergirl through eating pizza. Well, and she's rewarding herself, too, because number one, she just saved Alex, and number two, she just did something really cool that people are excited about. Mm -hmm. That she's wanted to do forever. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And Supergirl as a character in this show, the fact that she enjoys life and superheroing so much is such a huge part of her character, especially in comparison to other hero media, for instance, The popular heroes at the time were like Arrow, Superman in Man of Steel, which was a much darker version of Clark Kent. Jessica Jones was the other female superhero that was a lead in her own show at the time. Mm. And then there was Kara, who was this like bright spot and she didn't brood. That was a pointed criticism of Oliver. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but she she just enjoyed being a superhero. The gift that she was given. Yes. The other thing that was neat about Kara and her relationship to food is that when Supergirl came out, it came out on one of the top U.S. TV networks, and it was one of the first big female-led superhero shows. And the way that it chose to use food and use Kara's enthusiasm about food was built into the show's kind of inherently feminist packaging Mm. that came with it in season one, and it made it different in some ways from other shows Kara really likes food. Kara likes to eat. Kara isn't picky about whether she's eating candy or a salad. Like, there's not that inherent self-criticism and that Mm. guilt about eating that you might associate with female-centric conversations about food. So, like, that was really cool in that front. Yeah, and refreshing. Yeah. And it lends itself to the way that Kara uses food then to grow not just her family family, but her superhero family. Mm -hmm. And that hunger is actually a trait that she shares with Barry, the Flash, who came in to visit in season one and had that delightful ice cream moment where he sped out of the room with his super speed. And the first thing he grabbed was ice cream, kind of linking the superheroism there to eating, especially because he needs to eat so much because of his powers, which is something that Kara also does. Yes. As we'll talk about. Well, and it's also a neat moment of using food to create friendship. Yeah. Which we're going to talk about a lot more <laughs> in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Kara's like, do you like donuts? And he's like, who doesn't like donuts? And they run off excitedly. And James gets a little jealous. <laughs> and it's so essential to her character, not just because, like Barry, she's a character who has fun with being a superhero, but because of the like unfathomable loss that she experienced when she was a child. So choosing to enjoy like the little things like food (laughs) means something in that context that she gets so excited about, you know, ice cream, donuts, potstickers, even though she has this dark history and origin story. Well, and part of that's also wrapped up in the fact that Kara, you know, not only lost her family, her relatives and her friends, she also lost a whole culture and a whole way of living. Mm -hmm. And by embracing food and the rituals and the relationships that go with food, she's re-implementing that structure and rebuilding that for herself. And that's a large part of why she gets so much joy Mm -hmm. out of food and sharing food and being with people while eating food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me of the scene in season one when she tells Jean 
that like that loss makes a hole in your heart, but you have to fill it. You have to fight. And that's a core part of her character. So being enamored with earth birds and, <laughs> you know, and having game nights and trying to make friends and building a new family, they are acts of hope. Yes. And this is why Kara was then chosen in Crisis to be the paragon of <laughs> hope. Because her whole life has been a test of that <laughs> yeah. ability to believe in the fact that things can be good and can be better. Yeah. And we see food have a lot of interplay with the family that she chose and that act of hope. As we know, Kara has built up this family and has these sort of structured little events, particularly like Friendsgiving, in order for them to all bond with each other. And Wynn is the first friend that Kara invites to Friendsgiving. Because she realizes that he doesn't have anyone to celebrate with, it's especially because his father, as we learn later, is in jail and his mother left him, which ties nicely into this idea of found family and chosen family and the way food plays a role, because food can play a particular role in adoptive and foster families in real life. You know, when discusses his poor experience with foster care mm. and he says, all I got to say is it's nothing but being told how grateful you should be that someone is taking care of you. And that's such a big contrast to Kara, who in season one especially references Eliza as a foster parent. Mm. And yet her experience was very not that. <laughs> yes. And he goes on to say, dude, that's not family. Family's not about scorekeeping or who did more. It's just about showing up. And those two ideas of like a foster family or an adoptive family taking care of you and also showing up are important to meals and food. Taking care of you, obviously, because food represents safety and needs being met and not going hungry. Mm -hmm. Some foster kids will specifically experience food insecurity, which is when because of past experiences, they don't trust that they're going to get the next meal and that they're going to be continually fed. And I have a quote here that says they're focused on getting that next meal because they are in survival mode and food may represent security. And sometimes foster children will hide food or hoard it just to be sure. Which is not actually all that different from behavior that you might have seen from people who grew up, let's say, during the Great Depression, mm. where there was a lot of food scarcity or what you'll see now also from impoverished families that live in like a food desert where it's very difficult to find groceries and people who don't have a lot of money yeah. may not be able to supply food week to week or you rely on like your school to feed you, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that has a huge impact on, you know, your whole life, whether or not you have access to food. And mm -hmm. this idea of food and security is also important for Kara, not quite in the same way, but in how she almost died with her family and had that traumatic event. She was trapped in the pod in the Phantom Zone for 24 years. And then also there's the fact that Kara has a uh, body that now suddenly needs way more food than it did before. Thanks to Earth's yellow sun. Yes. And she's now on an unfamiliar planet living with strangers. So for Eliza and Jeremiah, for as long as he was there, the idea of like making Kara feel secure would be forefront in their minds. And then another role that food can play, other than literally meeting needs, is meeting sort of emotional needs through showing up, through spending time together during a meal. And that would be important for Kara, who lost her whole family and planet and was alone for a really long time. So that reliable, consistent interpersonal contact that you would experience through like mealtime mm -hmm. 
with this new family would have been incredibly important. Yeah, for building trust and for going toward not just making Kara understand that she's physically secure, but also emotionally secure and safe Yeah, in a way that Wynn clearly did not feel he was in his foster situation. For sure. The other thing about Kara feeling not just physically, but emotionally secure with the Danvers family is that it goes a long way toward giving Kara what Clark wanted for her, which was a semblance of a normal childhood, or at least a normal adolescence, because she was already 13 when she got there. Which is also something Eliza expresses in the flashback in the Midvale episode about, like, schools. Like, I'm trying to give you a normal childhood. Yeah. And thinking about what that implies, the idea that Kara should be having these experiences that make her able to understand and relate to people her own age and have experiences that aren't just really high pressure and really stressful. (laughs) And food and meals are such a part of the way the Danvers family expresses affection and concern for each other Mm -hmm. that that goes a long way toward that. So for Kara, she struggles with the idea of being able to depend on or rely upon others in a lot of contexts, even though she knows that her family is there for her. You see it a lot in her childhood, but it's something that she's even still dealing with now. Especially we saw in the 100th episode, we saw her kind of wondering if people would be better off if she wasn't in their lives or if she'd never come to Earth. Mm -hmm. Or the other thing that she did with Alex specifically, well, and Lena too, if I don't have emotional needs, that will be better for the other people around me. (laughs) Yes. Because then they won't be worried or stressed out or they won't come check up on me and get themselves in dangerous situations. Something we see maximized in season three, which we'll talk about. Yes. And a lot of that is related to the fact that she was adopted into this new family and upset the balance, which teenage Alex did not let her forget. (laughs) And she frequently was worried about taking up space and resources, both physical and emotional, throughout her teen years. That said, the Danvers family is a large part of the reason that Kara is as relatively stable and secure emotionally as she is, Mm -hmm. because while... Kara and Alex had some definite sibling difficulties in there. The whole Danvers family really embraced Kara and made her feel welcome and like she belonged and she was willing to accept that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I feel like it's reflected in the way Kara will like steal the last pot sticker from Alex and that like (laughs) very little sister energy in that role where she's able to do something like kind of bratty or put an imposition on Alex in that way. And get away with it. And get away with it. <laughs> and not only will she take the food, she'll then casually joke about using her powers to disfigure her sister mm-hmm. if Alex doesn't share her snacks. Yeah. And with the idea of like the supers, both Supergirl and Superman, there's this like X factor of how dangerous they are and and how imposing they can be because of their powers. So oftentimes you'll see Kara or Clark, especially through their human identities, be aware of not making other people afraid. So the fact that she's like, I'm going to melt your face off if you don't give me that last pot sticker and isn't like dialing it down because she knows Alex won't be afraid of her is important. Yeah, well, and as we've seen repeatedly, Alex just isn't afraid of Kara and Kara's powers when, Mm. 
maybe she even should be a little. <laughs> Which goes to show you just how good a job their parents did of teaching them to be siblings and how much effort they put in to building that trust and that relationship with each other. And Sister Night is a huge part of that. <laughs> and with that, food. Another really good example, though, of the relationship between food and family and trust within the Danvers family and Kara and her powers is the little scenes we get of Kara like heating the Thanksgiving turkey mm -hmm. with her heat vision. And Eliza in season one telling Wynne the story about how she was nervous the first time that she let Kara do it, not because... She was afraid that Kara would mess up and hurt somebody, not because she was afraid the house was going to burn down, <laughs> but because at that point, they weren't 100% sure how much radiation <laughs> was going to get into the food. Yeah. Like, uh, and apparently they tested it because Alex replies that it's no more than a microwave. <laughs> but it is such a symbol of Kara's acceptance into the family and also that her family doesn't look at her powers with suspicion and isn't afraid of her misusing them or abusing them or hurting anyone, which is something that Kara always worries about. So it, it's so nice to see. <laughs> yes. And then for Kara's part, her trusting the Danvers family to take care of her and be emotionally present is, as we've said, super important after she lost her family. Like the act of eating, spending time with and trusting the Danvers is that act of hope. And it supports the idea of Elmayara that ultimately, even if you're vulnerable, you become stronger through your connections with other people. Mm. And another thing that's really important, and we're going to set up this foundation so that we can look at Kara further and then also other characters and the ways they exchange food and have meals and how that affects relationships is that mealtime within a family specifically frequently serves two purposes, especially for children. And the first one is learning. Learning by watching everyone around you and by participating both in the act of eating and in conversation with older parental figures, with older siblings who can give you correction and teach you how to behave. And for Kara, as a person new to Earth, that would have been super critical in terms of not only learning basic things like how to hold your fork or organize your plate, which we see Alex and Kara argue about in the season <laughs> one finale. And Eliza's like, Kara's right, Alex. Why don't you know this? <laughs> like, Because Kara paid very close attention and studied and learned so that she wouldn't do it wrong. Mm. That's why. But, you know, you learn how to behave while you're eating, how to hold yourself in terms of how do you reach for a glass? How do you reach for your napkin? What kinds of conversation are appropriate at mealtime? For example, there are maybe some things that we don't talk about while we're eating because it makes people feel ill. Uh, <laughs> You also learn how to use food or mealtime as a way to welcome people who are new to the environment, whether it's in a workplace, at school, or in a personal family situation. And the other big purpose that mealtime serves is to teach language socialization, which is the process of gaining cultural and social competence with conversation. And so learning rules for turn-taking at meals or just generally speaking, which is something that Kara may have found very different from Krypton mm. to American, particularly white Western American society. How to modulate the tone and the volume of your voice, a thing Brainy struggles with sometimes. <laughs> How to use silence effectively, something Alex is very good at when we see her 
and Eliza butting heads at meals. Hmm. How to use humor effectively over the course of a meal. If you think to the scene in season two where Car and Monel crash Jack and Lena's date. Uh, <laughs> Or also the sticky bun scene. Yes, in season in one. In season one, when the waitress asks Kara how she can stay so thin, even though she eats so many sticky buns, and she says, I'm an alien. And she is comfortable saying that out loud, because the assumption would be in that context that she's joking. Yes, and you also think she's modulating her voice appropriately to make it seem like she's joking. <laughs> and the other thing you learn too through the process of meal sharing is you learn to understand things about morality and other people's values and how to negotiate conversations about values. Hmm. Within the Danvers family specifically, some of the things that we see Kara learn <laughs> are the very early one, which we've never seen in a flashback, but Kara and Alex have talked about, which is Kara being afraid of the sound of the popcorn popping. Yeah. And the way that she overcomes that is that Alex approaches her, not only teaches her what it is, teaches her how you season it, hmm. lets her eat it, and then invites her to the process of sitting down and watching a piece of media together, which is typically how one has and shares popcorn. <laughs> and so now she, instead of being afraid of it, has very positive associations with it. Yeah. We also see specifically when Eliza's there to visit or in season two when Jeremiah was there, Kara and Alex will bicker over behavior related to preparing for meals, like how to set the table or who should set the table or Jeremiah reminding them that they used to have to be told that they couldn't have their phones out at dinner <laughs> or until the chores were done. And we also see in one of the flashbacks... Alex educating Kara on how to conduct herself at mealtime in school. She kind of pokes at Kara, says you're holding up the lunch line when Kara is fangirling over Superman <laughs> a little too much and it's off-putting to other children. <laughs> yeah, so Kara has learned a lot from the Danvers family, from like meals and eating and conventions surrounding that. But then you can look at some other family-type dynamics and see the very different lessons they are learning through the use of food. Mm -hmm. For instance, in season two, in the Thanksgiving episode, we saw Lena sitting at work at her desk with some wine and a plate of food. And Lillian comes in and kind of <laughs> scolds her and says that this is a sad like display. But that is something that Lena learned from the Luther family. She said, I'm used to celebrating weekends alone at my desk. Mealtime was not necessarily the bonding experience between Lena and her adoptive family slash biological family that it was for Kara. Mm. And in that same scene, Lena's like, you never let me forget that I'm adopted. Really hitting the nail on the head there for how different her relationship with this occasion surrounding food of Thanksgiving is. Mm. Well, yeah, and that lends itself to her entire upbringing and relationship with meals, which we also get a glimpse into when we see the interior of the Luther family home, for example, mm. or Lena alone at boarding school. <laughs> and we even see the way that Lex learned to think about food through his treatment of Red Daughter, the car cloned in mm. season four. Some of it, I'm sure, was his own concoction. Yes, part of the psychological conditioning he was working on. Yes, but Red Daughter wasn't allowed to have like nice things. And for instance, we just mentioned how Kara was like, oh, there weren't any 
birds on Krypton and like how that was a joyful thing for her to look at for a daughter. The scene when she was listening to the birds for the first time ended quite darkly for her. She isn't given the opportunity to enjoy the little things in the same way or have friends and family. Her one connection that she has is taken away from her. She does have a few meals that she spends with Mikhail where they bond Mm -hmm. and Lex like has his eye on it and has to make sure that this doesn't turn into something actually healthy for her. (laughs) Yeah, can't have that. And Red Daughter then, when she sees Kara's life, remarks upon how much food she has. Yeah, she's disdainful of the fact that Kara's got all this food in her fridge. Mm. Didn't we wonder during season four if Lex was underfeeding Red Daughter? Yeah, that is quite the question. (laughs) Or maybe just using like high protein. Gross tasting protein bars. Yeah, Yeah. stuff like that. So she criticizes it and and it sort of represents to her because of what Lex has told her about food and and America, like American excess. Mm -hmm. Speaking of food as a symbol of culture and... Mm. Yeah. But then she like looks at the fridge and sees the Danvers sisters picture and and the game night scores on it. And you start to see the want of it kind of trickle in. And eventually she is like, okay, I want to be Lena's friend. And get to have hamburgers. And get to eat big belly burgers with her. (laughs) Yeah. Which it's still a shame that she never quite got the chance to experience the nice version of that with the Danvers and extended super fam. But it's a shame because Kara herself has built up this extended super fam and she's taken this very Kara Danvers foundation for relationships and used it to help others and to welcome them into her circle so that they feel less alone. Hmm. Like we mentioned with Wynn, and she's done that with Lena. We saw just this season during the Lena Andrea flashback episode, Kara came to the same restaurant that Lena was at and Alex had canceled and the way that they formed a friendship was through Kara needing someone to help her eat food. <laughs> not wanting to be the one sitting alone in the cafeteria. <sighs> Except not a cafeteria. <laughs> yes. And Kara also saw that William was eating like a sad looking sandwich in a bag and was like, no, put that down. You're coming with me. <laughs> right. And forced him to come to game night. She's like, I have much better food. Please leave this year. <laughs> yes. And Kara constantly has these snack field game nights that Lex so loathes. <laughs> yes. He describes them with the same ferocity as gateway drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and Kara has all these sister nights with Alex, which were quite the foundation for us getting to know those two characters in season one mm-hmm. uh, with pizza and pot stickers and ice cream. And as we know, Friendsgiving has been an inclusive affair with Brainy and Nia. Manchester Black even appeared, <laughs> Jean. But you noted that Kara has a particular relationship with food with Alex. Yeah. So when Kara hosts bigger events, she gets all kinds of goodies to share with everyone. But those are much more about making sure that there is something for everyone, that everyone feels welcome. Hmm. And it's when we see just her and Alex that the genuine, like, car comfort foods start appearing. And those nights where it's just the two of them are very built around routines and long-standing meals that they've shared together that have a very heavy emotional association with them and a component where it's not just about the food, it's about who you're having the food with Mm -hmm. and why. And that's very fun because (laughs) Kara spends so much of the time on screen having meals with Alex and Alex's relationship to food is different and also really interesting Mm. when you consider the fact that she grew up an only child until her family adopted Kara and then she's been sharing 
sharing her space with someone who could literally eat anything any time of the day. And we know in many other contexts that Alex always feels like she has to keep up and she's behind. And it's led to her having some interesting kind of love-hate relationships <laughs> a little bit with food. Yeah, that's um, accurate. <laughs> like, she's absolutely always down for Sister Night, except briefly in season two. <laughs> <laughs> and if Kara's got food there, they're eating it together. But she also has this little undercurrent of bitterness about the fact that Kara doesn't have to pay attention to what she eats in order to remain healthy. Yeah. And it sneaks out every once in a while in comments about how it's not fair that Kara can't gain weight or when they go to Midvale and Alex is already grouchy. <laughs> she's like, mom's going to make us food and I'm going to end up gaining a bunch of weight. And you're not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's kind of funny because then when she goes into the VR in season five as Supergirl, one of the things that she really wants to do is go eat. Yeah. So that she can enjoy it without the health consequences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is funny because the episode just before that one, when she first went into that VR, she was like, oh, calories. <laughs> but she, while she was grieving over Jeremiah, she was craving the pancakes that reminded her specifically of home. Yes. And generally speaking, as in many other contexts, Alex is more restrained about what she eats, generally speaking, than Kara. But as you noted, with her decision when she's in a state of distress and goes into the VR, she will, like many of us, <laughs> eat junk or eat more than normal when she's upset. Yeah. We see this in season two when Alex is waiting because she wants to talk to Kara and try to kind of figure out if she's attracted to Maggie. Kara comments like, oh, weird. You don't usually eat sugar in the middle of the day. What is wrong? Mm. Or we see in season four when she's freaking out about the adoption that might go through. Kelly buys her some chocolate, which she... <laughs> eats all of promptly. <laughs> and then we see in season five, Alex is spending time with Kara after they've lost Jeremiah and she has to kind of be coaxed into the fact that it's okay to indulge and have sweets or something like that while she's upset because she's like, oh, I really shouldn't, but I'm sad. And Kara and Kelly are both like, it's okay. <laughs> Kara literally reads something out of her life advice book from Melina and paraphrases it with like, eat the dumplings. <laughs> yeah. Kara's life philosophy. <laughs> but for all that Alex's individual relationship to food is a little more contentious sometimes than Kara's, <laughs> which I think it wouldn't be if Kara wasn't her sister. Yeah, but Alex, very much like Kara, collects family members, and a lot of that bonding comes through sharing meals and food. One of the things that we see very early on in the series is how close Alex is with Jean. And we also see one of the ways that Alex expresses her affection for people or that she's concerned about them by bringing food or by wanting to treat them in some way that will make them feel better. Mm -hmm. Specifically, if you think to season one, we have the wonderful scene where Jean has been imprisoned at the DEO for stepping in to protect Alex when Kara's under the influence of the red kryptonite. And instead of staying away from it and keeping herself out of trouble, Alex shows up bearing Chaco's, <laughs> Jean's favorite snack, and insists on standing by him because he's always stood by her. And one of the really cute things about it is Jean is genuinely surprised that she knows that that's his favorite. 
<laughs> He's delighted when she brings him the food. But for a mind reader, not a lot gets by him, especially <laughs> because he checks in on Alex periodically to make sure she's not going to go, you know, fight a mind reading alien by herself. <laughs> but he hasn't realized that she's picked up on these things enough to, to know that about him. And it matches really nicely to a moment earlier on in season one where Kara surprises Alex with a favorite food when she's busy managing some stuff at the DEO. So that makes a really nice circle of showing that these three have started to become a family. Yeah. But with Alex and Jean specifically, that's where we get the most insight into Jean as a character, because he and Alex do have this special relationship that's kind of distinct from Alex's relationships to most other adults in the show. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that we start to learn about Jean through Alex is that it takes him a very long time to start to really feel like he has a home on Earth because, like Kara, he's carrying around all this guilt and these memories of the family that he lost. And he mm. doesn't even have his own legitimate place to live that's not the DEO <laughs> until yeah. after he realizes he is not the only Green Martian left in season three. But where things really start to change is when Jean realizes he has his father back he needs somewhere to feel like a home. And Kara and Alex both kind of jump on him for not saying that he's bought a place or inviting them over <laughs> or what have you. And then for the rest of season three, Alex is there all the time. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, delightful. It is. And the context in which we see her there the most is for family dinner, essentially, with him and with Marin. Mm -hmm. And she really integrates herself into his family by realizing that Marin is losing his memories and that they both are going to need some emotional support yeah. throughout that. And for Marin's part, a big part of his storyline and like trying to find his place on Earth involved both food and meals and like the hot chocolate and the coffee yes. and the pizza and, and forgetting which meal they were going to have. That was a big storyline mm, beat. Yeah. And going to a Christmas dinner at Kara's. Yeah. But the cool thing about the way mealtime is used in this like Martian human family unit here is it's structured in a way that is not stereotypically American or at least not like white Western American in that the focus isn't on sitting down, having the meal. We're going to eat this food and then be on our way. It's less about the food and it's more about the relationship building and the connection to heritage and feeling of togetherness. Mm. And it's also because it's a much more informal setting, given that Jean and Alex's relationship has always been kind of put at a distance because of the fact that Jean recruited Alex to work for him. And for the very longest time, he was reluctant to really step into that father role that she sees him in. Hmm. And then Kara came and messed it all up uh, <laughs> in the nice and in the best Once way again <laughs> enters the chat <laughs> exactly and then Kara breaks all those barriers down <laughs> but when we see alex in jean's home in season three they're not just sharing food jean is sharing music that he likes because he's playing it to help marin with his memories jean and marin are telling stories about mars and what jean was like as a kid what 
about his family was like, Alex gets to ask questions about Jean's life on Earth before she met him and really learn to understand him and, and who he is and what he values and why. And within this more open and more vulnerable space, we also see Alex have room to ask her advice about personal things that maybe she wouldn't bring up at work, like her anxieties about wanting to be a parent or worries about being able to handle the pressure of her job, being able to confide in Jean about Marin's symptoms and offer to help him and that kind of thing. Hmm. And we talked about this a little bit in the intro information about different things that food and meals can symbolize. But in the scenes that we get in season three of Alex with Jean and Marin, we also get a really interesting look at Jean's progress as an alien who's been assimilating to life on Earth over a long period of time in a way that then we can kind of compare to Kara. And we can also see how Jean is grappling with the changes to his role within his own family as Marin is no longer fully able to be the father to him that he's always remembered. Yeah. The other thing about it that's really great is that it gives Marin the opportunity to observe how Jean has changed in his time since he left Mars and to see the relationship that he's forged with both Kara and Alex, which leads to him having that lovely scene at the end of season three with Alex kind of acknowledging her as an extended member of their family. Hmm. So we've talked a lot about how food plays a big role in these sort of familial ties and those relationships. But there's also a lot to be said about food with relation to romantic relationships in Supergirl. Yeah, and I'll start with Alex because we were just talking about her. When Kelly was first introduced back in season four, Alex used food actually as a way to kind of smooth over their <laughs> initial kind of rough introduction to each other. Oh, yeah. While James was in the hospital, you have the really cute little scene of what I call the jello peace offering, <laughs> where Alex had been pushing and pushing Kelly to trust her judgment, even though they were relative strangers, and realizes she's overstepped. And so she comes back and is like, I hunted down hospital food. It sucks, but here you go. Uh, <laughs> but again, also, this is a gesture that Alex will make when she knows maybe she's concerned about how somebody feels because of something she did or said mm. or she wants to show that she recognizes how someone else is feeling and that she cares so that was very cute and then kelly made her very nice metaphor about jello and trauma that was hashtag relatable to so many characters <laughs> in <know>. the show <laughs> um, and through food yes and through food she fits right in the uh, language of the entire danvers family <laughs> But then that habit of using food as an excuse to talk and exchange ideas and understand each other's emotions continues throughout that back part of season four when they're getting to know each other. They meet up for lunch when Alex wants advice about how to deal with Colonel Haley at work. Then when Alex is panicking about potentially adopting a baby very quickly, Kelly goes with her, gets her emergency chocolate, <laughs> and... They have that really cute little exchange after they've had this heart to heart where Kelly's like, OK, let me have some now. And Alex is very car energy, like, nope, I already ate it all. <laughs> Which yeah. I joked to you makes total sense that if she got her hands on something, she'd eat it immediately to prevent car eating it. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then we see this pattern kind of continue into season five with the scene where Alex is making breakfast and then she freaks out because she doesn't realize Kelly's got these food allergies. Yeah. And she was trying to do something nice, again, as a gesture of appreciation and affection and 
and panics and is like, oh my god, I might have killed you. Uh, <laughs> and Kelly's like, no, it's okay. <laughs> and that moment makes a lot of sense if you think about how important food is in the Danvers family concerning like knowing each other and like how much that signifies for them in particular compared to like any other television family. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. And then also consider Alex doesn't really have to think about things like that, like food allergies. That's also fair. With her family. <laughs> Because half of them are from other planets. <laughs> and then we already mentioned Kara's first similar kind of food, not peace offering, but gesture of openness to friendship with William with his sad sandwich. Sad sandwich. Uh, and there was this great progression in season five with William going from sad sandwich to revealing the fact that he can bake a lot. <laughs> and bringing that as a gesture because he wanted to ask Kara and Alex and Kelly a favor, kind of setting him up to fit right in. <laughs> and Kara's elated. Kelly even recognizes, you can tell, <laughs> the significance of William bringing a bunch of food to Kara to consume. Yes. And then Alex turns and is like, so you made all that yourself? Like she's checking it out mm -hmm. <laughs> to assess the quality of this potential suitor. Yeah. Well, and then this is also after William showed up the one day with coffee for Kara and Nia, and it was the right kind that they would like, even though he and Kara had never had a specific conversation, mm -hmm. as like a hint that he pays attention to things, which is cute. Yeah. And he specifically said like, oh, I recognize my friend's coffee preference, like knowing that that's an important thing <laughs> in that kind of yeah. relationship. Yeah, well, and it's also, it makes sense in the context, going back to this idea of using food in professional settings as well, that for camaraderie, you might order a round of, of coffee or coffee-type beverages, <laughs> the way we saw Cara do in season two when Monel called it bribery coffee. <laughs> yes. But for William, the storyline started incorporating food into their interactions after he had, number one, stopped putting on like a jerkish front, and number two, had decided to pursue these relationships, not only with Kara, but with like Kara's friends and, and kind of incorporate himself into that and open himself up generally to other people. Yes. The other thing that was really nice about the scene at the end of the season with William and the baked goods, just in terms of looking at how he fits into the context of the broader found family that Kara has built, mm -hmm. is that he connects food that he is bringing to Kara to the broader experience of himself, his family culture, and memories that he is now passing on and sharing because he mentions that he's using recipes that came from his family. Yeah. And that he took the time to cook everything himself. He didn't just, like, go buy it. <laughs> it's also perfect because Kara has struggled with baking. <laughs> yes. And needs that in her life. <laughs> and in terms of a neat relationship dynamic that incorporates food with less, like, positive results, we have Brainy and Nia and Brainy's attempts to achieve like hashtag relationship goals and <laughs> making every day a perfect day. 
by just showering Nia with so much food that she likes. So he recognizes the importance of food, like catching onto that kind of earth custom and that role that it plays in relationships, but then taking it a few thousand steps too far. Well, it was too far for Nia, but Kara as her friend definitely <laughs> won out because when Nia was trapped in her bento box for it, Kara was like, I'm going to take about 10 of these and just left. Yeah. Like, and she was like, shrug, maybe it's his love language food yeah yeah she was like i'm definitely gonna as your mentor and friend also accept that i am winning in this deal <laughs> see brainy's filling in for win without even knowing it leaving extra snacks for Kara at catco <laughs> and in terms of the sliding scale of like successful romantic relationship interactions to not at all successful we have eve and lex oh man <laughs> poor eve this season eve has thought this whole time that lex really has cared about her that he's looking out for her protecting her because on the face of it he's done and said all the right things so after she goes and makes all these big sacrifices and stuff for him she decides to make a grand gesture of love by cooking an elaborate gourmet dinner in the fancy Luther palace of a <laughs> dining room and even puts on like a apron and gets all dolled up. Yeah. Expecting that he's finally going to reciprocate. They're going to have a future together. And he then shatters the illusion by telling her that all of it was a lie. He takes a bite, is like, oh, it's good. And then he just turns around and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is also after he had, yeah, like demolished her emotionally. Well, yes. <laughs> By playing I mean, his hand. That's all wrapped up into the part where Lex understands what all these norms are and the symbolic value mm -hmm. of all these different gestures related not just to food, but to simulating romance in general. He just, they don't matter to him. So he's going to subvert them all in the cruelest way possible. Yeah. Classic Lex. Yeah. He doesn't like food <laughs> in the right way. And also he doesn't like game night. Those are the <laughs> defining features yes. of Lex Luthor as a villain. And he specifically doesn't like them because they create emotional ties between people that he has difficulty defeating. <laughs> yeah. So following along with this concept of romantic relationships and food and maybe things not working out as well as one might like, <laughs> season two was full of that. Which is maybe to be expected, given that none of the romantic relationships in season two lasted <laughs> to the present, except for Jean and Magan. Yeah. There were a lot of, like, awkward meals mm. within the context of season two, which was kind of disrupting the status quo of the space fam. Like, we have this core unit of Kara, Alex, and Jean, and then, by extension, Win and James. And Win and James and Kara had some issues, and, and then we have Monel coming in. Mm. And creating a little bit more tension there, and then also disrupting Kara's routines. Yeah, and Maggie and Kara not getting along, so... And then Alex also kind of separating a little bit, doing her own thing, and then she was also mad at James and Wynn for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have these other characters coming in, and, and the core fam trying to interact with them through these meals and not going as one might expect, like with Monel coming to the <laughs> Thanksgiving in season two and bringing pillow stuffing instead of turkey stuffing. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, which goes back to the idea of how you learn about culture through meals. Kara mm -hmm. is so well assimilated that it didn't occur to her that she would need to clarify that more than one thing is stuffing <laughs> and that some are edible and some are not until he arrived. And then she was like, oh, and was amused, not like put off by it because she got why it happened but <laughs> it threw things off a little bit and then later on in the season monel convinces Kara that they need to crash lena's dinner with jack so that they can get some new information mm. and by this point you actually see he has learned through example some of the rules for behavior at a dinner like that because he plays up like awkward bro hugs <laughs> In order to steal Jack's ID. Yeah. And he lets Kara kind of carry on this distracting conversation with Lena. And they're actually sort of in sync in that scene. Mm -hmm. That was like when they clicked the most. Yes. As opposed to during the incredibly tense dinner they have. Well, if you can call it a dinner, Kara is the only one who actually eats anything. <laughs> On board the Daxamite ship with Monel's parents after they arrive, and Kara finds out, much to her dismay, that Monel has been lying to her and is the Prince of Daxam. Yeah. And that scene was interesting in terms of talking about what different family dinners are like mm -hmm. and maybe peering into Monel's family and what that dynamic was like, which was very tense and not very homey. <laughs> No, it actually was very similar to what some of the literature that I looked at described as a stereotypical American parent and child exchange at a dinner in which the parents do most of the talking, that the child is expected to be silent unless there are questions asked, and that the meal is used almost as an interrogation in which Monel, as the child in the family, is on edge expecting the things that he says to be called into question or he's going to be given a hard time about things. And that was really a lot of their attitude. Yeah. And then there was Kara, who was <laughs> seething with rage underneath yeah. a smile the whole time. <laughs> I liked the way Melissa played it in the context of we get the flashback in that scene of the fact that Kara had a family member who had been a diplomat yeah. on Daxum that Monel's bodyguard killed. And you have Kara essentially acting as a diplomat in this scene and sharing a foreign meal with these people who've just shown up to Earth. And she's paying attention, but she's also holding her ground and she just uses the context of they're supposed to be here to welcome her to do her favorite thing, which is like sample foods, <laughs> and yet <laughs> convey her complete displeasure <laughs> with everything that is happening. And then she just leaves. <laughs> yes. The art of fork acting. <laughs> yeah. Her aggressively cheerful but angry eating was possibly the best moment of the whole scene. Yeah. And then another tense meal scene that we have is with Monel, Kara, Alex, and Maggie, yeah. which does not go <laughs> very well. <laughs> <laughs> that is an understatement. And it's a neat scene in the sense that Kara and Alex have been going on these very disparate paths for the vast majority of season two up to that point. And now Alex is actually inviting Kara into her space, which we don't see as often even now, mm. but is trying to fuse both of their separate paths together and have them both hang out and have dinner in the same place, but also have their significant others there. And like it goes badly from before Kara even shows up because... <laughs> <laughs> because 
Alex is already tense before Kara even shows up because Maggie is not happy with how Kara is behaving as Supergirl. And then Kara gets there with Monel, which brings its own extra set of problems. <laughs> Monel says all the wrong things, you know, which bringing back that idea of like what is appropriate within certain contexts and mealtime. Mm-hmm. And things eventually grow so tense, Kara leaves before the meal is even over and knowing how much she values spending time with alex that is saying something (laughs) yeah and then alex is like okay i have to go put this right and then in attempting to leave and apologize for the ruined dinner she gets kidnapped and almost dies (laughs) yeah and the worst part of course is the fact that not that alex gets kidnapped (laughs) which is kind of a terrible way to end any meal, I'd say. <laughs> a little bit. But also the food burns is quite a wonderful representation of what was about to ensue. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing just was a disaster from start to finish. <laughs> the other thing that's kind of interesting in the context of looking at like Carr's relationship with Monel and Alex's relationship with Maggie in season two is how much more prevalent alcohol and social drinking is in those relationships as opposed to sharing meals and casually just hanging out where food is involved instead of alcohol. And that was in part because they used the alien bar in season two as this kind of symbolic place for people who felt othered to be socially. Mm -hmm. And we actually do see all of the alien characters, except Kara, gravitate towards that space and find a way to express themselves a little bit there. And then you also have it as kind of like an allegory for what's going on with Alex and Maggie. But in terms of the ways those two different acts affect relationships and closeness in relationships. Within the context of the show, there's a different weight given to drinking alcohol with someone or alone versus sitting down and eating a meal and spending time with someone. The characters that we tend to see drinking or the situations where they're hanging out together and just having a drink are usually fraught with very complicated emotions and miscommunications, Mm. especially in season two. Whereas typically when we see the characters hanging out and having food together, it's usually a more upbeat occasion. There's more people around. They might be celebrating something. There's also just a level of comfort. Yeah. And it's usually also in someone's home Mm. rather than being like out in a place where you have to feel like you're on and that people are watching you. Yeah. But that sort of emotional weight that eating food as opposed to drinking alcohol can have in the show is probably why during season three, Kara does not eat for pleasure almost at all, Mm. as opposed to like eating because it's time to eat or eating because it's expected. There are instead a lot of like wine nights and shared drinks. And at the beginning of this podcast, you mentioned how food can help one understand changes in a person over time Mm. and their identity, which is really apparent in season three when Kara was like, Kara Danvers was a mistake. Kara had given up on this human Kara Danvers identity because she lost Manel. And that was a loss after many other losses that she experienced. And she felt hopeless. And we see her lose her appetite. Mm. That's so connected to Kara as a person throughout the series. And that is a common sign of depression. Like in the first episode of season three, Alex kind of steps in front of Kara and stops her from leaving the DEO. And 
Kara at this point, her face is very kind of blank and she's like all business and has been since the beginning of the episode. And Alex is bringing up to her the fact that the tasting for her wedding to Maggie is that night and she wants Kara to go. And she mentions like pot stickers will be there. And she's really trying to get Kara to engage in any way on an emotional level with her or have show any kind of excitement for this momentous occasion for Alex and one which is something that normally Kara would be incredibly enthusiastic about, both because Alex is getting married and we've seen enthusiasm for Alex's romantic relationships before from Kara and her supporting that. And then also the sheer amount of food that was going to be there. But because of the place that Kara is in, she doesn't respond. Wynn brings up the fact that she skipped pizza night. And later on in the episode, Lena is like brunch soon, like to try to get her to hang out. And Kara like barely registers it and just kind of nods on her way out. And then in the next episode, we have an interesting parallel between these three different breakfast experiences. Yeah. We have Alex and Maggie waking up and, and drinking coffee and having breakfast. Sam and Ruby are together. And then we cut to Kara and she's sitting and reading a newspaper and eating like plain oatmeal, which is not to say that oatmeal isn't good. <laughs> no, but if you contrast it to like in season two, Kara was making pancakes and stuff mm. to get excited for like Monel's first day at Catco. And <laughs> yeah. And then Monel would learn later how to make bacon for her. Oh, yes. And it's interesting that we see Kara throughout the season not show as much interest in food because we also don't have a Thanksgiving that year. Mm. They have an episode for Halloween and also for Christmas. So in terms of talking about Kara and why she being depressed has lost her appetite, there's some interesting science behind it where there are these pathways in the brain that are associated with this concept of interoception, which is just your sense of your body. Like, am I too cold? Am I hungry and pain, tired and energy management? Also that pathway. In people who are depressed and experiencing appetite loss, as opposed to increased appetite, which has a different effect in the brain, these pathways are comparatively underactive. They don't light up as much so theoretically, Carr's brain in season three wasn't accurately updating her on needing to eat or to sleep, that sense of feeling hungry or tired. And we also have talked before about Carr's sleep habits in season three being out of whack. Mm. So her emotional lack of interest in life is reflected in her brain and then in turn reflected in her eating choices. And this is so the antithesis of Cara Danvers, that identity, who is defined by her choice to seek happiness, like we talked about, and that hope, mm -hmm. and to pursue life and, and vitality and excitement after that loss. She's at this really low point where she's rejecting Cara Danvers and everything that is linked up with that, including food. Mm. Well, and it's kind of interesting that the turning point for Kara doesn't come until she sees Alex really suffering hmm. towards the end of episode five in season three and recognizes that Alex needs to go home and just take a couple of days yeah. to recharge. And then Kara plays herself a little because she makes Alex go home. And then while Alex is busy emoting, Kara gets uh, the mom energy turned on herself <laughs> and starts really kind of thinking again about how she is handling everything or not. <laughs>
Yeah. And it's also very linked to her relationship with Alex and wanting to improve for Alex's sake because now Alex is going through something similar. But Midvale is very interesting for food Mm. in terms of the Danvers sisters' relationship and the Car Danvers' identity because we see what might be the first time that Alex eats lunch with Kara since those years that she was forced to stick a little closer to her. And maybe the first time that Alex made the decision to hang out with her just because she wanted to. And Cara said in that episode that that time in their lives was the first time that she really became Cara Danvers. And then we also see the first time that Cara shows that she's excited about food again in season three. Eliza sends them away with pie and Cara's like, you are the best. (laughs) Yes. Cara's favorite earth dessert. (laughs) And then at the end of the season, when Cara has recommitted to the Cara Danvers identity. There's another scene with a hero on the TV and pizza and Cara watching the news report that James has announced that he is Guardian. Hmm. Similar to that pilot scene that we talked about with Cara sitting there and, and being just thrilled to be Supergirl and taking a giant bite out of pizza. And this time, Alex is sitting with her, also partaking in the pizza. And Kara has this conversation with Alex and discusses how she has chosen to be Kara Danvers again, which we've talked about representing like hope for a new family. And now there's this commitment there to that new family that she acquired when she says to Alex, this is my home with you on this couch with this insanely huge pizza that we just downed. And Alex <laughs> is like, there's no pizza on Argo, huh? She's like, nope. And then Alex is like, shame. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That part is really great. It's it's also just funny to... Well, it's funny in the sense that when Kara goes back to Argo, I pointed this out in season three, and then we talked about it when we were developing this podcast episode. Kara doesn't ever talk about like missing food from Krypton. Hmm. So it's really interesting that that comes up in her reasons why she decided to come back to Earth as her home. <laughs> And that her identity on Earth is so wrapped up in all of these things, cultural things that she's found joy in. And this also goes back to some of the understanding about food and what it symbolizes, because eating can be a reaffirmation of your identity and who you are, because it's connecting you to the things and the people that are important to you. And it's calling to mind memories of previous times that you've shared maybe the same meal or spent time together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in season four and five, Kara has her food enthusiasm again. (laughs) Yes. And the writers, I feel like, emphasized the role that meals play in the family dynamic more than ever. Season four, Thanksgiving returned, for one, and it had a lot of people, longest table ever. (laughs) And there were lots of just little family meals together, and we've talked about some of them. Yeah. You had Kara hosting the party for everyone all together up on the roof before all the bad things happened in season four with the Children of Liberty. Mm -hmm. Even after the mind wipe happens, you see a lot more little moments of just Alex and Kara hanging out or Alex and Kara and Jean together having a meal. The trio having meals together felt very purposeful and consistent and they frequently would reflect on like (laughs) the state of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, in a very, like, family get-together kind of way. Yeah. Which is why it is great that that was the way the 100th episode ended, with Kara's recognition of the things that were important to her. Mm. Yeah. And also with that trio that we as viewers come to see as 
the space fam, the core three, all together partaking in a meal that Mixie provided because he recognized how much Kara loved food from the time that he spent, which you noted before was an upgrade from the yes. hundreds of roses that he <laughs> left in her apartment. Well, and it also to go back to the idea that you learn through sitting down with someone in that context, Mixie Spitlick has learned through watching Kara's example that this is how you express affection or appreciation for someone. Yeah. And that it's something that she recognizes as something that makes her feel appreciated. And so he leaves her with a gift that has meaning to her and shows that he understands now in a way that he didn't kind of who she is and and how to interact with her. Yeah. Which I thought was really cute. And he expressed how being around her made him feel like a part of a group of people, part of something. So he gave her the means to have a nice night in with the people that she cares about. And then we had, of course, that moment where Kara just like grins at Alex and John and gushes about how they're always there for her. And they say Elmira and have a little fries cheers. (laughs) Yes, they toast with the French Mm -hmm. fries. So we spent a lot of time talking about the social and emotional components of food and sharing meals with other people. But now we're going to shift our focus to the more scientific and biological elements Mm. of the food eating process. So for this next section of food-based meta... We have a special guest with us. You may remember her from our fifth episode and our 14th. We welcome Supergirl's Addicts, Resident Doctor, and Evolutionary Matter, or Anivo. Hi, friend. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Of course, anytime. We're excited to ask you some food-based science questions. The first time you were on the podcast in the Trust Me, I'm a Doctor episode, you talked a bit about Kara's metabolism and how that might work. But we have a follow-up question, which I think is really important to know if you're going to understand Kara Danvers as a person. How much does Kara need to eat? (laughs) <laughs> so these these are highly scientific questions. <laughs> so take everything I say with a grain of salt, because in this case, I did use Dr. Google a little bit. <laughs> but based on some information that I found, basically like a 5'10", 154 pound man, if they were to run or jog about five miles an hour or bike 10 miles an hour, you use about 590 calories in that hour. And then in one of the earlier episodes of Supergirl, they said that Supergirl can fly at about Mach 2, which is 1,534 miles per hour. Um, Obviously, this is conservatively based because apparently she can also fly around the world really, really fast. And I can't do those calculations. (laughs) And fly fly to the sun. sun. So (laughs) these are casual things that, you know, normal people can do. Yeah, that's just car being car. Yeah. So like if you cross multiply like in Mean Girls and someone goes like 10 miles an hour and they're burning 590 calories and cars going 1500 miles per hour, she'll burn about (laughs) 90,500 calories in just one hour. That that's a lot. Oh God, I thought you originally meant like in a day she would burn that many. No. Oh man, that's one oh, hour. No. That's one hour of flying. She must be so hungry. If she's using like that super super fast speed, which she doesn't usually, that's for like special circumstances. Is it though? Because there's other situations where she goes faster. Oh, true. Or like this season, she decided to just like casually fly to Europe and buy snack food. Yeah. You probably bought a lot of snack food, you know, all the way there, all the way back. And other things you can consider is like apparently like vigorous effort weightlifting burns about like Mm -hmm. 440 calories an hour. 
And so, you know, when Kara lifts Fort Ross, which is 1 million tons of condensed dwarf star, <laughs> probably qualifies as, as a vigorous effort weightlift. So That's quite the workout, I'd say. But she maybe only did it for five minutes. So is it really 440 calories worth of effort? Ooh. It ooh. is in her heart. <laughs> Felt like it to me. It's no wonder why she's constantly hungry. Because me too, wow. girl. Me too. Wow. <laughs> And also you figure all the mental energy that she's expending to do calculations and translations and stuff, like that actually uses a lot of calorie energy too. Yeah, like her baseline metabolism. How many calories did you burn thinking about this? <laughs> Ooh. Oh, I'm already hungry. <laughs> Perfect. How much of that hunger is secret dehydration? <laughs> yeah, a lot of it, but it's fine. You don't need water to survive. That's like an unnecessary aspect of life. Yeah, that's the one thing we don't really need. Humans don't need water. Does Kara need to be hydrated? I mean, if you're physiologically going to say she's like a human, then yes, she should also be hydrated. <laughs> or if she's like a plant, I think. <laughs> Oh. Even if she's like a plant, she still needs to be hydrated. Would Kara eating grass-based food give her more energy? So, like, if Kara ate, like, a salad, is it even worth the effort of the calories burned to chew it? Well, if there's sun inside. Oh. <laughs> is it, like, an extra kick? No, I don't think, I mean, unlike the grass that apparently has some sun power inside, I feel like most general salads do not have that. Okay, this is, that's exclusive to grass. That's exclusive okay. only to grass mm -hmm. when Alex cries. <laughs> yeah, those two <laughs> elements together really have that reaction. That's Alex's superpower is imbuing <laughs> natural substances with additional restorative powers. I mean, and Vivi, I know you've been wondering for a while about what types of food Kara should eat. Yes. Like, so given that she does need so much energy and expends a lot of energy throughout her day, even when she is not vigorously saving the earth, what kinds of things should she eat? And does the show depict her making food choices that, like, make the most sense for someone with her metabolism and, like, her energy needs? I mean, like, yes and no. So... There's the idea that carbs and proteins are about four calories a gram and fats are about eight calories a gram. So eating a lot of like fatty foods would kind of help sustain the calorie amounts that she needs to eat. But at the same time, like all the sugar, all the simple sugars that she has will break down pretty much immediately versus like a complex carbohydrate, like your like beans, your whole grain fibers, your starchy vegetables, which you probably should eat a little bit more of that because then she'll have energy for longer rather than... And, you know, as Wynn says, it becomes like she looks like she's hypoglycemic <laughs> every 25 minutes. Yeah, which maybe is an accurate assessment that, <laughs> that she's starting to get a little worn out because she's hungry. The reason I ask is because, for example, like in the end of season one, when they have the, the meal together after Myriad is defeated, it's like the table is out and you see some rolls. But then there's, you know, like a bowl of carrots and just like a lot of things that seem like they're not worth it for Kara to eat because they're just like low density in terms of not having a lot of protein, not having a lot of starch or fat. So... I mean, she still probably needs vitamins, right? You know, there's other benefits from those <laughs> kinds of foods other than just strict calories. No, only calories. <laughs> only calories. No nutrient, only <laughs> calorie. That's the only thing that matters. 
You know, as we're talking about this, I feel like in reality, Kara would be tired of eating. <laughs> it would just be all the time. But she loves food. It's true. It's just... She loves food so much that she left her home planet to get Earth food. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reason why she could have stayed on Argo. Yeah. But she just couldn't handle no pizza. Taking pizza away from Kara is unwise. It's dangerous business. Her last question for you, Annie Bo is an exciting one for me. <laughs> so about the obsidian lenses and food, they set it up so that people could be like nourished, it seemed, in some way through their contact lenses. <laughs> how possible is that? I mean, you might have to tell me how it works for you, but <laughs> it, it, it doesn't. It shouldn't work like that. I mean, unless these magic contact lenses also have like invisible IVs somewhere, there's like no way that this would work. There's like a lot of ways that your body figures out whether or not you're satiated. And so I don't think these hormones would be able to be created by a magic contact lens. Your body's going to crave food even if you're like virtually able to have the emotional reward of eating because you're not going to be able to secrete those hormones of satiety that kind of require input from your GI tract. Like when you eat food, your stomach will stretch and those gut receptors from the GI tract will feed back to your head and say like, oh, I have eaten now. I'm not as hungry anymore. Mm -hmm. So it would be kind of interesting to think about that in like virtual reality with like weight loss. It's like a therapy for overeating. Like if you uncouple the emotional mm -hmm. reward of eating in VR without getting that satisfactory signaling, would people have reduced cravings? Mm -hmm. mm, that's kind of neat. Yeah. Also interesting to think about wealth in relation to food and the obsidian lenses and maybe experiencing food that you wouldn't otherwise. Mm, true. That's true. And I mean, like, it would kind of maybe reduce cravings because there's an emotional component to food eating, too. That's not just whether or not you need the calories. We all have emotional connections to food and why we crave them. There's reasons why people, like, will binge eat when they feel emotional and all that kind of stuff. So maybe if you could use VR to, like, get that emotional aspect, then yeah. it could help out in that way, too. But regardless, people couldn't subsist for days and days without any external nutrition. There's like studies that say like without anything, you could live for like 10 to 14 days on average. Without food, right? But not water. So these studies were done in people who are in like persistent vegetative states. And so basically they stopped giving them any kind of support. Oh, and okay. so it was like 10 to 14 days on average, depending on like hydration status and like how much body fat they had to begin with without any external nutrition. So I'm assuming that those studies also included intravenous fluids as well. Yeah. So the floating Leviathan bodies not connected to any IVs or anything, but not farewell. <laughs> No, you know, just floating in the air might be a cool experience, but maybe not one if you want to live. <laughs> Unless you're Kara. <laughs> That's true. And then you can sleep float and that would be amazing. Could you imagine how like comfortable you could be like if you just like have an air? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a question. Like, is Kara exercising in a way when she's doing that? Ooh. Oh. Well, like, what kind of energy is she expending? Well, that could just be her biomatrix. I don't think we got into this earlier, but if we think that her biomatrix is like uh, kind of uh, fueled by like her more plant-like cells where she's like performing photosynthesis and that fuels her biomatrix, maybe she doesn't need to waste her food energy on that. And her food energy mm -hmm. is just the human-like physiological processes. Yeah. Tracks. 
I'll buy it. So thank you for your food science insights. I'm not a food scientist, just (laughs) FYI. No, (laughs) but we appreciate it nonetheless. And now to close out our episode, we are going to play a very special game that we created to go along with our theme related to food in Supergirl. And in order to play this game, Anivo is going to stay and we are also joined by Comicer Girl. Hello. (laughs) The game is called Super Sleuth. Hungry for justice. (laughs) The sun is setting on National City and Kara is returning from her most recent super save to enjoy a delicious slice of cheese pizza. See, it's game night, a sacred pastime for the super friends, and she requested that they save her a single slice, just as she is to save the city once again. A simple request, or so she thought. To her absolute horror, she flies through the window of her apartment and finds an empty pizza box lying there uselessly. The sun finally sets along with her dreams as her stomach rumbles like thunder on the horizon. A storm is coming, and the culprit will not be shielded from the full wrath and might of her pal. But who? Which of her friends, her family, would betray her in this way? It is up to you, young sleuths, to help Kara uncover this food thief. You will have four powers that you can use one time. Between the two of you, you decide together. We have four powers between the two of us. Yes. So your powers are super hearing, super vision, super speed, and hope speech. <laughs> mm-hmm. Classic. You could use each of those once and we can repeat which ones you have left whenever you'd like. You also have two opportunities to interrogate a person, one of the suspects. And you have one accusation. So that's four powers, two interrogations, one accusation. Where you can be like, I think you did this. Yes. So Car looks into the room and sees Alex standing in the kitchen using her phone. Lena is sitting on the floor by the coffee table where tonight's game is set up, hiding something behind her back. Nia is napping on the couch with Streaky. James and Brainy are in Kara's room whispering about something. And Wynne approaches Kara to block her view of the room and starts talking nervously. So Wynne approaches Kara. He is immediately a little too friendly, the same way that he tends to be when he's hiding something. So Kara is looking as he's trying to distract her. She's just not sure from what, but she's pretty sure he's probably not the one who ate her pizza because he knows better, and he also always makes sure to have extra snacks for her when they were at Catco. So she's trying to figure out who he's protecting and what he might know. And now is your chance to use a power. If you would like to interrogate when you can, and you still have that accusation. So we can interrogate all of the characters, only one of the characters. So you can pick one at a time. You get two opportunities to interrogate, so like ask like a follow-up question. You can start out by asking when a question, or you can choose a suspect and use a power on them. Mm. Mm. I mean, Wynn is definitely <laughs> someone who you always want to interrogate because he's going to break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. Is that your final answer? Yes, let's interrogate Wynn. I, I agree with this. Okay, so Kara turns to Wynn, eyeing him suspiciously because he is clearly nervous. She asks him what happened to her pizza. Wynne panics immediately and begins rambling about the Jenga setup over on the coffee table, but he keeps glancing back towards Alex. 
That's all the information Kara is able to get. Alex was not mentioned in the beginning, I don't think. What is Alex doing? Alex was. She's in the kitchen. She's using her phone in the kitchen. Okay. And Nevo, do you have any thoughts? <laughs> I feel like we got to go talk to Alex. Hmm. All right. That works. I mean, he's glancing over at Alex. This is true, but I'm also very suspicious of, was it Brainy and James mm. whispering in the mm. other room? Yes. But we don't have to, we don't have to deal with them right now. We can talk to Alex. Yeah. Part of it's like, what's a distractor though, right? So do we think that that's like a distraction? That's true. That's true. And like, how good is Win at obscuring like true intent and like looking at someone else when he shouldn't be looking at Alex? Like he's trying to look at Alex to distract from something else. It's like, how good is he at that? <laughs> All things to consider. <laughs> But I'm good if you feel that we should talk to Alex. All right. So remember, you only get to talk to two people and then you have to you can use powers to check uh, out some things. We can only talk to two people. OK, then this changes the game. <laughs> and you've already interrogated Win, So you have one. OK, so the hope speech, I think we got to save. I agree. That's a good final move. It feels <laughs> So you've got, you can use supervision, super hearing, or super speed on up to three people. You tell me what you think, Aniva, but I was thinking just using the super hearing on Brainy and James, because that seems like an easy way to know what's up over there. That was the same thing I was thinking as well. Excellent. All right. So Kara is puzzled by Wynn's furtive glances and suspicious behavior, but she's also kind of intrigued by the fact that Brainy and James are out of her immediate line of sight and they're having a very suspicious conversation. So she decides, without approaching them yet, that she's going to do a little investigating and see what she can overhear. So she turns her super hearing on Brainy and James, only to hear Brainy in the quietest whisper imaginable, demanding to know how James captured his iconic portrait of Supergirl rescuing people from a building. Because the picture is very famous in the 31st century. And James is trying desperately to end this conversation before it becomes overly fangirly. Oh. <laughs> it's like, they're tricky. It's like, as I thought, it probably was a distractor. But like, did you just tune in at the wrong moment? Who really knows? <laughs> it feels a bit like a dead end to me. <laughs> so you could ask them why and get a follow-up or... You could try another power on someone else. No, no, we can't waste our one <laughs> other conversation. This is true. <laughs> so you can use your additional super senses to gain some more information and then decide who you want to ask a question. So Nia's napping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A good strategy. And who else is there? Alex is over in the kitchen using her phone and Lena <laughs> is over by the game table and hiding something behind her back. Is John there? John is not there. No, alas. No, he's missed game night. I mean, I kind of want to see what Lena's hiding behind her back, right? I think that's a good call. What power do you use to do that, do you think? Either that or we figure out what Alex is doing on her phone. And as a reminder, you guys have left supervision, super speed, hope speech. S supervision like the x-ray vision or is it just like the see things close up? Either both. Any and all of those. Uh, <laughs> it's an ill-defined power. <laughs> she uses her eyes to look at the things she wants. On one hand, you could steal whatever Lena has 
behind her back using super speed, or you could steal Alex's phone. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Or you could just see what they're doing on either. So it's really about equal. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. All right. So who do you want to go after first? Aniva, did you want to see what's up with Lena? Sure. I don't have a strong preference either way. Alex would be evil if she stole that slice of pizza from Kara. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the betrayal. That would be deep. <laughs> a deep crust cut. <laughs> Did you just make a, a joke dish. about deep dish pizza? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> a deep dish cut. My. So you think you're you're leaning towards Lena? What uh, are you guys leaning. going to yeah. mm-hmm. What are you guys going to use with power? Do you want to use the super speed to just take what so she has? So part of me is leaning towards it's cuz Lena's a little sensitive, so she might get upset if you just steal mm. what she has. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I really appreciate that you're taking into account Lena's emotional fragility. Personal characteristics. Thank you, Aniva. We don't know where she is in her life right now, you know. <laughs> I had assumed this was post-season five, but yeah, no, you're right. We should err on the side of caution. So erring on the side of caution, Kara remembers that she saw Lena kind of shove something behind her back like she was hiding it when she came in. So, in order not to make Lena feel overly accused, she decides to use her supervision and see what's up, only to discover a mysterious Jenga block that appears to be made out of nanobots. Strange. Not necessarily related to her food, but suspicious nonetheless. Ooh. The plot thickens. <laughs> oh, you know what? Like, what if Mia is like just dreaming everything that's happening? And like, we could just like know what's going on. She knows you don't get to use Nia's powers. This is Kara's dream. <laughs> dream vision isn't one of the options. It's a collaboration. You know, oh. it is a team effort. <laughs> oh my. So you guys have super speed left. You have one interrogation and, of course, the accusation. One accusation. Okay. Well, hmm. I mean, now I'm suspicious that Lena's cheating at Jenga, but that doesn't answer the pizza (laughs) question. So I think, I don't know, if we want to move on. Unless the the nanites ate the pizza. Ooh. Oh, no. (laughs) From those gas, that is not the correct thought. (laughs) Yeah, great poker face, BB. Look, I am, I am like when I'm very good at this. Should we turn our attention at last to Alex? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think we should. It's, it's Alex. Okay. You know? All right. Yeah. <laughs> so Kara is a little puzzled by Lena's behavior, but it does not seem immediately linked to her missing pizza. Therefore, she sets her sights literally and figuratively on the next. Wait. <laughs> Sorry. I appreciate that. <laughs> Kara realizes that Lena's got some mysterious nanite thing happening. And she's like, okay, but the priority is pizza. I mean, that tracks. She can, she's going to deal with Lena after she figures out. She needs- she's a little bit hypoglycemic. She's not going to be able to deal that's, with it. That's fair. She's going to get hangry. You may continue. Kara sets her sights on the last remaining viable suspect, her own sister. Has Alex truly betrayed Kara and eaten her pizza despite many years of knowing that she shouldn't do such a thing? Yeah. Kara decides she's going to use her super speed and find out what exactly Alex is up to over there, frantically tapping away on her phone. She rushes over, grabs the phone to Alex's indignant yelp in the background, only to discover <laughs> that Alex has opened 
an app for Food Flash, National City's hottest food delivery app, in which she is in the process of ordering a new round of pizza. (laughs) It's either very sweet or, you know, it's kind of extremely suspicious. I mean, it could be sweet and suspicious. Like, this is yeah. it's like one slice of pizza for a whole pizza. Like, if you're going to bribe me that way. All right. But I guess, you know, being sisters, we could still accuse her. You guys have an interrogation left and an accusation. The hope speech. And a hope speech. Yeah. Okay. So we can either accuse, interrogate, or use the hope speech. Accusation is like, I know it's you. That's your final move. Oh, that's a final. It's like the clue, like the envelope at the end. <laughs> okay, no, we can't. So it, interrogate maybe? Sure. Do you want, should we ask her before we, we accuse her? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's probably yeah, yeah. the strong move to make. <laughs> uh, you know. The strategic move. All right. So Kara, seeing this horrible evidence that Alex at least <laughs> knows that something happened to the pizza, turns to her deeply upset and asks, What happened? Where did her last slice of pizza go? And Alex, very irritated, replies that Lena insisted on getting the game set up for game night while Kara was gone so that they would be ready. So Alex had to go and get them from their storage location, and when she returned, the pizza was gone. She knew Kara would be upset, so she decided to try to order more food so it would get there quickly enough that Kara would not be hangry throughout the whole first round of game night. (laughs) It's very plausible. It is. I mean, what if Nia is in a food coma? Oh, man. Didn't even consider that. (laughs) Oh, we we just thought that she was just kind of peacefully napping, but... In fact, well, I mean, now if we can rouse her, like maybe we can make a hope speech of like the hope, you know, of friendship and love and camaraderie and in the spirit of game night that the accused will step forward. I was thinking <laughs> that that, yes, would be a good move. <laughs> Car's voice rings out around the room for all to hear. Her loved ones turn to look at her and she says, I know how hard it can be to admit when you've done something wrong. But a secret is like kale. You can keep it inside, but at what cost? (laughs) Whoever took the last piece, I understand why. But friendship is important, maybe even more important than pizza. It was beautiful. And then Kara's phone vibrates and she looks at it. And in her special app for receiving anonymous journalism tips... There is a message, though she does not know from whom. And the anonymous tip is in the following format. An ode to pizza. The pain of hunger, like the pain of love, may cause much unnecessary strife. And yet like eros striking hearts from above, pizza is a fundamental element of life. Disappointment stings and sticks, much like the pizza cutter's blade upon a layer of cheese, when a trusted friend or lover picks your beloved snack as theirs to seize. Things are not always what they seem, much like that moment upon waking from a dream. Kara looks up. Nia is quickly and quietly headed toward the door. You have one option left. Is it to accuse Nia? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the... That is all you've got. Yeah. Still recovering from the ode to pizza. That's right. (laughs) Go ahead, Anivo. We got to accuse Nia. (laughs) All right. Well, Kara rushes toward the door just as Nia is about to turn the knob. 
and accuses her of stealing the rest of the pizza. And Nia confesses everything immediately. She confesses that she did it all to prove that Dreamer is more powerful than Supergirl. Thank you, Nicole Maines, for your recent panel discussion where you raised this point. (laughs) (laughs) And Kara's horrified because especially, you know, as her mentee, Nia should understand and respect Kara's love for food. But then Kara remembers the times that she stole pot stickers from Alex and realizes that Nia learned this from her. (laughs) The student becomes the master. And then suddenly, Kara jumps up from her bed, drenched in sweat. (laughs) Eliza pokes her head in and says, Sweetie, we have a bit of a Thanksgiving emergency. There's no ice cream for the pie. Kara rushes out into the living room to find her family gathered. It was a dream. A mere food coma. (laughs) Plot twist. Um, It wasn't Nia with the food coma. (laughs) Kara looks out at her loved ones. They didn't betray her. But then... She spots Nia, who is waking from a nap on the couch. They lock eyes. Nia glances at the pie. And Kara says, sorry, Mom, someone else is going to have to go out to grab it. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, oh. for playing. You won. <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, we were going to win. I think you were going to lead us to the right path no matter what. You oh actually my. went really well. No, like, we were not choose... sure what you were going to do. You did it in the order that, like, the perfect order. The ideal <laughs> order, but we actually had it planned for, like, any order. Mm hmm. Oh my. <laughs> we were going to have the event happen anyway, but you succeeded in actually accusing the right person. Yes. Oh, yes. Nailed it. Oh, oh man. Nice. This is like, this is like high pressure scenario, man. <laughs> it's the most important. I mean, on the one hand, sure, but I was so busy laughing the entire time. <laughs> Just enjoying the whole thing. It was like a great scenario. It was really fun. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're glad you guys liked it. I worked really hard on that poem. It was beautiful. <laughs> so thank you guys for playing. This has been deeply amusing. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. So that wraps up our episode. We'll be back in two weeks with another. And you can message us on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at Supergirls Attic. And thanks for listening. <laughs>